Amen. Amen. Listen, church, you can praise God better than that. He moved in an amazing way. Come on now. You don't even know. You don't even know. At the end of the Gospel of John, John says, hey, if I was to write down all the things that Jesus said, it would be too much for this book to contain. And as we sought out to put this video together, it was kind of one of those experiences where if we were to tell you all the things that every dollar of that $59,000 plus went to do, uh, we would not have enough time or enough video footage to be able to express the amazing ways in which God moved through you. Through husbands, head of households who contracted COVID and, and passed away, and you're able to, to meet the needs of those families, to, to police officers who unexpectedly passed away, and you're able to support those families, to keeping lights on, to keeping food on the table, to keeping people, um, to be able to have shelter for their kids as they're on life support, to be able to provide through the food pantry 25,000 plus pounds of food. Church, you have no idea. And the way in which the ripple effects that this small little coin that we dropped into God's big pond has created. And so well done. Here's how I know that God is on the move. And that God is moving in us and through us in ways that are unprecedented. Here's how. In this season, you have been more generous and more open-handed than I've ever seen any church let alone the ones that I'm a part of. And so in a season where it would make way more sense and where it would be totally likely, and I have pastor friends all around the country who are saying, we're having to cut staff, we're having to cut budget, we're having to cut all this stuff, we're able to give it away because, and again, I'm not doing anything. The staff is not doing anything. The elders and I are not doing anything that makes this happen. It is the Holy Spirit of God moving in the lives of us. And because that is happening, people are in a season where it would make way more sense to be close-handed are saying we're going to live open-handed and open-ended lives because this life is not promised. Tomorrow is not a guarantee. I'm going to let the God of creation work in and through me so that the loss can be found. And church, Ashley Stitchcomb and her son Isaiah sat right there at the first service. Some of you passed her and gave her a hug in the parking lot. And this is a family that I believe is going to be radically different because of your generosity. This is going to be a young man whose life I believe is going to be radically different because he saw the grace of God on display as a young person. And today as we get ready to enter in this series about families being changed and generations being affected, I want to pray that just that thing would happen, that God would use our generosity, the way we preach the gospel, the way we gather together, the way we go out to impact people for generations and generations Jesus, only you, Jesus, only you, Jesus. God, we don't put videos together like this to pat ourselves on the back, Jesus. We do this to let our light shine among men so that they may see your good works and praise you as the only true Heavenly Father, as the only source of anything significant in this world, God, where everything that we see around us seems to be doom and gloom. God, there is hope, and that hope is found in the grace and gospel that we saw on display. Father, I pray you'd allow us to continue to be open-handed people, that we would give and live like never before because we serve a God who came to earth, lived, and then gave his life for us. We love you, Jesus. Be with us as we dive into your word today. In your name, amen. Amen. One of the things I know about generosity is generosity 
spurs on more generosity. And for us as a church, if you want to continue to give, uh, like you just saw that happen, um, obviously you can give online. The links and everything are going to be there below. In the back, there's three places where you can drop that off. Um, again, we're not going to twist anybody's arm. We're not going to force anybody. I, I think what we just showed you proved um, that miraculous things happen when God's people live open-handed lives. And so I'll let that speak for itself. Today, we're going to talk about this thing called parent guilt and this reality that we all feel. I want to start out today by showing you a picture, okay? Anybody want to see some Shoemake family pictures? I'm not going to go show you one. I'm not going to show you a whole slideshow. Uh, that's right. That's right. Oh, it's right, okay? I'm not in this one. That's why. <laughs> okay, so this picture here, guys, it's beautiful uh, and amazing. It's, it's on the walls at the Shoemake household. And so we got, we got Jessica, and no, she didn't just eat a lot of spaghetti. Ezra is in her, 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 her womb right there. He, he, is, he is in there, and then Titus is giving her a beautiful kiss. This is on the Driftwood Beach uh, off of Jekyll Island here in Georgia. And it's an amazing picture. And, and a couple of years ago when we posted this, it got hundreds of likes, comments all over the place. But here's the deal. What was going on behind the scenes did not match the beauty that is in this picture. <laughs> All right? There's a little bit about this that is a little staged. So I want to I give you a little bit of the backstory, okay? I'm just going to take the mask off. We're going to be completely honest here. All right? First of all, dear friends, that is not a sunset. If you know where Jekyll Island is, you know that would be impossible. Okay? That, my friends, is a sunrise. And in order to see a sunrise, do you know what you have to do? You have to wake up at the butt crack of dawn. That's what you have to do. <laughs> And that's what we did with, with, a, with a two year, with a, however, Ty, old Ty, Ty was like three years old. And so we're, we're pulling him out of bed, throw him in the car seat from St. Simon's to Jekyll Island. It's about an hour drive. So, so we get there, you know, we're changing clothes on the beach and everything else. And we get out there and we explore. We get some time for the sunrise to come up. And it's all looking good, you know, at, at first. And so we kind of set, you know, change Ty's clothes. He's got his shorts in his little underwear. We sit him on a little branch right there. And then we go out and we start getting some pictures. And we got some good ones. But here's what we didn't know. That as soon as the sun came up, these demonic things called sand fleas would also come up out of the abyss. I don't know where they came from, but they came. And they started getting into every crevice of our bodies and our souls, it felt like, and biting us and pinching us. And it felt like we had little crabs crawling all over us. But they weren't little crabs. And we know they weren't little crabs because as the tide was all the way out this early morning all of the little crabs had came all the way in. And I don't know what it was about my son's underwear, but for some reason, these little like quarter-sized crabs, which by the way, uh, kids in the room, we're, look, we're listening for animals, and I've already said fleas and crabs. Okay, there's another one that's coming. But animals, that's what we're at here if you're watching online. So these little crabs, for some reason, I don't know what it was about his underwear. Maybe it was just something that was not used to being in their habitat. Um, they are just attacking his underwear. So as we're like getting attacked by fleas, and we, we didn't bring any bug spray because it's 5 o'clock. You don't think about bug spray at 5 o'clock. You're not thinking about anything at 5 o'clock except coffee. And so we get there, and we do all this stuff, and we wrap it all up. And, and then we're coming, you know, we got bug bites all over us. We had, you know, to shake under, underoos full of crabs. We're shaking all those off, putting underwear. We didn't even put them back on there. He's just commando back to the house. We get there eat a little bit more breakfast and do that. Now, this particular trip, Jessica and I were still in that phase of parenting where we thought we were going to be like the world's greatest parents and uh, not let our kid get a whole lot of screen time in. And um, we were at vacation with some other parts of our family, and um, there was just a little bit more screen time on vacation than we were used to and that our son was used to. And so he was kind of like a crack at it. And he was, he was like, y'all got any more than my pads? Um, 
can we watch some more TV? Puppy dog pals. And so that was kind of what was going on there. And so combine that with a lack of sleep, him waking up super early and, you know, having been attacked by crabs and fleas, um, he was a little bit on edge. So especially when we're trying to take this stuff away from him, it's just tantrum city. And so this kid who had a lack of sleep is getting whoopings because we got him out of bed at five something in the morning. And that's what's going on behind the scenes to a picture that got hundreds of likes. Here's the deal. Oftentimes we compare what we see on everybody's feeds and highlight reels and we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. Nevertheless, we look at those things and we compare our lives off of those pictures and we don't know the story. And see, what I want us to do is, as parents and as, as, as God's family is to live lives that are less consumed with getting great snapshots. I think our world, our society, everything is consumed with, let's just get a snapshot, let's get a snapshot, let's get a snapshot. Here's the deal. God has called you to be a part of a story. The reason that that uh, video you just saw brought you to tears is because it was a story. You saw a narrative. You didn't just get a snapshot. Had we just showed you a picture of Ashley with balloons in a car, you would have gone, no, okay. But the story is what changed things. I think so often we compare ourselves to others. We compare ourselves to everything that's going on around us. And here's the deal. I want you to know this. this is the underlying thing that I want you to understand in this message, in this talk, as we dive in, where comparison begins, contentment ends. When comparison begins, when we start to compare ourselves, whether it's on anything, whether it's, it's comparing our kids to other people's kids, whether it's comparing our marriage to other people's marriage, comparing how our retirement is going, we're just sitting at home mowing the grass, versus their retirement in Italy, like when we compare whatever it may be to what they're experiencing, the contentment that God wants to bring you and you to experience in your life, it ends. I heard it said this way by a pastor here in Georgia, Andy Stanley. He said, there is no win in comparison. There's no win. There's no way to win. On either side of it, if you like feel good that you have more or better or whatever than they do, then you get pride. If you have less, then you have guilt and shame. You go, ah, so there's no win. There's no middle ground. And the fastest way to kill something good that's happening in your life whether it's something good that's happening in your kids whether it's something good happening in grandkids whether it's just you know something you, you get a new car wait the fastest way to kill something good is to compare it to something else you've experienced that right you get a new car somebody in your small group shows up dang it that new car is four years newer than the one that i got it's got less miles it's got leather seats and it's got the thing that keep your butt warm and your butt cold like man i want a car like that just all of it and so what i want to walk you through today a little bit of time we have left, is three ways to break out of this comparison trap that we can all find ourselves in. First thing is this. If we want to break out, we've got to wake up because you're getting robbed. You're getting robbed. Theodore Roosevelt, one of my favorite presidents of all time, he said this. He said, comparison is the thief of joy. The joy that God wants you to experience in your life will not be stolen faster than anything by you comparing your life to someone else's life. And so what I want you to understand here is that in comparing, you've got to figure out and get a little bit detective-like, okay? So we need to be, if comparison is a thief, then you need to turn into the own detective of your life and figure out the who, the what, and the when, okay? First of all, you got to figure out who you're comparing yourself to. So who is it for you? Write, write their name down in the comments. It, I'm just kidding. Don't write their names. But you know it in your head. As soon as I ask you, who are you comparing yourself to? It's a sister. It's a brother. 
is someone at work, is someone in your group, is someone at church. Who are you comparing your kids to? Who is it? Who are you comparing yourself to? Who are you comparing your kids to? Who are you comparing your pastor to? Who is it? Then, once you figure out who, figure out what. What, uh, what is it about them that you are comparing? Because here's the deal. You've got to figure out what you value. And when you figure out what you're comparing about them, then what you're going to learn is, is what you actually value. So if I'm comparing myself to the truck that somebody else drives, well, I now place value on what other men will think about me when I drive that type of truck. If I am comparing how her at-home virtual learning classroom looks with, with a desk and a cute little lamp and some, some greenery to just oxygenize their face and all this other stuff. And my kids is on a, a lifetime table that I borrowed from church and haven't taken back yet. And there's like Cheetos sitting right there for brain food. Like, okay, we're, we're, we're comparing some things here. And we're saying, we're value, we're, what are we valuing in that? So we got to figure out what. And then, if you get the who, you get the what. You got to figure out when. When is this happening, okay? When did the robbery occur? When was it? Now, here's, a, here's an alarming truth that maybe you haven't realized. For most people who are, who, are, who are 50 below, now, older generation may be a little bit different here. I don't know what, exactly what it is for you. But for most people, 50 below, maybe even 60 below, our lives start in the morning by viewing social media. And we go to bed viewing social media. So it is no coincidence, no shocker, that if our lives are bookended by a comparison machine, that throughout the course of the day, we don't feel the weight of the trap that is comparison. And you do realize that, that that's what Facebook was created to do. That's what all these social media things, they were, the lie is that this was created for connection, but it was created for comparison comparison that would lead you to a place where you're discontent and that would lead you to compulsion to buy that thing that would help you measure up that happens to conveniently be on the side screen or in the sponsored post that comes up below now you're starting to see it huh and so what i want to talk to you about in regards to waking up and getting robbed is this verse where paul is, is speaking to the person who he is spiritually parenting timothy and he's talking to him about this thing called contentment and he offers them some great advice. There's a verse a lot of times we talk about it in regards to money, but I want to show it to you today in regards to this comparison thing and how we can get out of it. It's 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. What he is saying here is there is nothing that you can do in this life. There is nothing that you can get. There is no measuring up that you could be further than somebody or further behind somebody that would ever satisfy something on the inside of you that God created to satisfy. That it is only through godliness that you are able to experience what you were truly created to feel. And is that godliness, that honoring God, that paying that honor to Him, that you actually get to a place where you experience true contentment. See, we live in a world that says if you can get all these external things figured out, then you'll truly be content. If you can get this degree, or if you can get this job, or if you can move into that neighborhood, then you can experience true contentment. But that's not the way it goes. See, this word for contentment was also used in 2 Corinthians 9.8. 2 Corinthians 9.8, you write it down, go look at it later. It's an amazing verse, but it, it ties into this, in this idea of contentment, which is what we are being stolen from by comparison. 
says, And God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that having all sufficiency. Now, that word sufficiency is the same word that is translated as contentment in 1 Timothy 6 and 7. So it's this sufficiency. I think what the Holy Spirit is after here in showing us these two verses is that there has to be something inside of you from the inside to the outside that is your source of satisfaction in this world because you will never be satisfied by measuring your life to someone else's and you will have your life stolen from you. Next thing we can do if we want to escape from the comparison trap is to leave the land of Ur as an est. To leave the land of Ur, Est, and As. Now, here's what I mean by that. When I say the land of Ur, see, comparison is it's kind of sneaky. And when we get into comparison, we live in what's called the an- land of Ur. A- Andy Singh was the first person I ever talked about it, and it made so much sense to me. That we, as people, we always want to be better. We want to have kids who are stronger and smarter and faster, and we want to have marriages that are better from the outside. And we want to have Uh, uh, richer and we want to retire better than they did we live in the land of Ur to be skinnier to be stronger to be more powerful whatever we we live in the land of Ur but for some of you you're like me you don't want to just be Ur you want to be Est it's not enough to just have the smartest kids smarter kids you want to have the smartest kids it's not enough to just have a better marriage. You want to have the best marriage of anybody in your community group or anybody in your family. It's not enough to just have er. You want est. And if you can't relate to that, you can probably relate to the as factor. Where you say, and this is where we feel a lot of guilt and shame sometimes, and we let go of hope that God wants to give us. When we say, if, if my marriage could just be as good as Smiths. If my kids were just as smart as my nieces, if we just had as much money as the, we would be fine. And so we find ourselves living in this proverbial place of, man, if we could just get to where they are, everything would be fine and we feel like we never arrive. See, the land of Ur, Est, and As, what it does is it breeds unhealthy competition. There should be a place where if we're living in true community, that our good deeds and our good works are actually spurring us on to good things. But when we live in the land of comparison, the land of Ur, As, and Est, what happens is we get to a place where we, in an unhealthy way, compare our lives and even our kids and our marriages to other people. Case in point, me. Again, I'm going to be, you know me as your pastor. I, I'm, I want to show you that I am not perfect by any stretch of imagination. So my son, Titus, he is trying out for a new baseball team. And I'm, Jesus, please let us be able to play sports this season. Um, he's trying out for this new team. It's an 8U team, and he's a 6-year-old. And so like, he's, he's going out, he's trying out for this team, he, he's doing all that. And it works out, he's, he's a good baseball player, and I, I, I know he's a good baseball player. I believe in him, confident in him, everything else. But we go to this practice where he's you know, working with these guys and, and doing this other type of stuff. And I, 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 you know, they wanted me to kind of help coach, so I'm kind of going over to the other coach who's the head coach. And I go, uh, yeah, hey, man. Um, how many eight-year-olds you got on the team? And he kind of points out all the eight-year-olds. Okay, cool, cool, cool. How many seven-year-olds you got? And he's like, oh, those seven-year-olds. And then I get to the question that I really want to know. How many six-year-olds are on the team? And he tells me there's a few of them. And I say, which ones are they? He points them out. So Titus goes, and Titus, Titus has turned to hit, and Titus hits, and he hits great. 
And then I wait for the other six-year-olds to get up. And mind you, these six-year-olds have never punched my kid in the stomach. These six-year-olds have never rolled my house or hit my mailbox with a baseball bat. I have no reason to wish that these kids would not be able to hit the ball well. But I'd be lying to you if when they swung and missed, there wasn't something in me that went, my kid's the best. And see, that's unhealthy. And I'm thankful that I have this thing called the Holy Spirit inside of me that makes me aware of that. So that I can cut that out. Because here, here's, here's what God wants us to do as people who are, are called by him. He wants us, instead of comparing our lives to other people, and when we see them do good... He doesn't want us to compare, and that's, we never do it out loud. Maybe we get home and be like, man, man, this kid was crushing it. You know, we don't, we don't, we may do it at home. We rarely, if ever, do it. But our world, listen, there are kids who are committing suicide. There, there are people who are in depression and anxiety, and I believe that one of the missing ingredients in our society is encouragement of people saying, well done. Man, when did it become so difficult to celebrate the good that somebody else is doing? To just say, man, walk over, hey, who's your dad? Okay, well, let me know when he gets here because you hit the ball really, really well today and I can't wait to go tell your dad how good you did. But we don't operate like that, guys. Man, look at that new truck. Let me, can I just borrow it for a date night? Like, man, that's great. That's great. I love that truck. You must be working hard. High five, man. Or elbow, man. Where do we get off in thinking that we would be able to live healthy lives that cross paths with each other with only comparing ourselves to each other and not celebrating the good that we see in each other. We've, we've got to change that. I, I love the way that the author of Hebrews knew that we would struggle with this competition. And he wrote, even in using a competitive sports analogy in the book of Hebrews. Look what he says. If you've got a Bible, you can go there. It's Hebrews chapter 1, or chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. It says this. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Again, he knows what's up. He's saying it is a trap. It will tangle you up and slow you down. It entangles you. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Whose race is it? It's your race, friend. The fastest way to get behind and to lose your race is to try to run someone else's. Stop trying to run somebody else's. Stop trying to run your sister-in-law's race. Stop trying to run the guy in the office beside you's race. Stop trying to parent the race that somebody else's kids are trying to run. Run yours. It has been marked out for you by a Savior who took marks on his back, who took nails in his hand, and he marked out a race and a path for you. And you are the only one who is capable of going on it and being successful on it. And the fastest way to get off course to look at somebody else's course. Verse 2. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Not looking to the left, not looking to the right, looking to Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And now I love verse 3, and I, I never saw verse 3 in this slide, but it says, Consider him who endured such opposition for sinner, so that you would not grow weary and lose heart. He says, Consider him. And that is such the antithesis of the decisions we make, isn't it? Even when we put clothes on to come to church. Who, man, oftentimes, what are we considering? I'm considering what other people are going to think about what I wear. 
When we buy the car we buy, we consider what other people are going to think about this thing. When we send our kids to that school, when we decide whether or not we're going to post about how we vote, when we decide whether or not what we're going to do, we, we, we consider. Now, some of us should do some more considering. Um, we need to tone our, our lack of consideration down. But here's the deal. And maybe this would be what would help with that. He says the solution for breaking out of the comparison trap is to consider Jesus. Before the decisions I make, before the posts I make, before the things I buy, before the things I say to my child when I try to reprimand them, I consider Jesus. Because we can pretend as parents that, man, we go to our kids and we are super hard on them, we're driving them crazy. We're like, I just want you to live up to your expectations. I just want you to live up to, to, to your potential. But what you really mean is, I just want you to live up to the potential of my sister-in-law's kids. I just want you to live up to the potential of the potential that I never met. And see, God's saying, no, consider me. Consider the grace that I have for you as a parent. Consider the grace that I want to give them as a kid. And let's move forward with that. Don't consider what everybody else is going to think. Consider Jesus. The last thing we can do, it's right in line with what I just said, if we want to break out of the comparison trap, is to look to the cross. To look to the cross. See, we've got to answer this question, the foundational question. Why do we compare ourselves, why do we compare our lives to other people? And psychologists have actually nailed that down. Like it's, it's something wired within our DNA, wired within who we are as a species. Why do we compare? There's a, a psychologist named Leon Festinger. Leon. 1950. He popularized what is called the social comparison theory. And the social comparison theory essentially says this, that we determine our social and personal worth based on how we stack up against other people. So the answer to why we measure ourselves against other people and why we compare so much is because we are trying to answer this big question. Am I valuable? Am I valuable? And see, the problem is, is when we try to answer the question, am I valuable, and we try to have the world answer it, the world is a very fickle place. And how many of you know that the things that the world valued in 1920 and placed value on are very different than what the world and society values in 2020? Amen? They're different. And so if I place my value on how well I measure up and my worth based off the society that I live in, that means that my value is going to constantly be changing as what the world values changes unless I choose to place my worth somewhere else out of this world. I believe Peter understood that concept. And that's why he wrote this to us. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or as gold that you were redeemed. As, as if he is saying, you were purchased, you were bought by things not like silver and gold, which can lose their value. Which is to imply that there is something that cannot lose its value. You were redeemed from that empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect that is what you were purchased by that is your worth 
So we don't have to look to a world to go, world, how much am I worth? Uh, uh, middle, school, middle school tables, how much am I worth? Instagram, how much am I worth? We look to the cross, and when we look to the cross to see our worth, what should we should see is the price tag of nail-scarred hands and a crown of thorns on the Savior of the universe that says, this is how much you are worth to God. If you doubt your value, it is on the cross that you can see the full price that was being willing to be paid for you and for me while you were still a sinner. And guys, that's the gospel. And in this life, listen, in this life, there are going to be times, there are going to be time after time after time where it feels like the world is handing you a slip that says you are not enough and you do not measure up. There are going to be times where your kids are going to say something to you that feels like they have sent you a message to them that's saying, Mom, Dad, you're not cutting it. You don't measure up, and you're not enough for me. There are going to be times at work, men, where because of your performance, you're going to get a review, and you're going to be told, you're not enough, and you're not cutting it. Moms, you're going to scroll through Pinterest or Instagram, and you're going to see what they're doing or hear what they're doing, and you're going to go, I'm not enough. And it's going to feel like the world is giving you that message that says, you are not enough, but thank God that he gave us a different message. And from cover to cover, this Bible, this word of God proclaims to us that you were enough for the God of all creation to send his one and only begotten son to earth to die the death that you deserved so that you could live the life that you did not deserve. So if, if that is how much God says you are worth to him, the big question is, is that enough for you? And my hope is we go into a time of communion and we hold this this blood of Christ and this, this body of Christ represented through juice and through a cracker that we would know that I am worth this much to God. I am worth the, the blood of God being shed for me. I'm worth the body of Christ being broken for me. Guys, that's the gospel. And the beauty is God is not comparing you to anyone else. If you were a perfect parent like him, you would never compare your kids to anybody else either. And because he's a perfect parent, when he looks at you, he's not comparing you to anyone else. He's not asking you to measure up to anybody down the road. He's asking you to be you and to come to him. And I pray that that's what you do in these moments here as we commune with him and then we worship him. Jesus, we love you and we thank you that we can gather together Celebrate your love, celebrate your grace, and then release ourselves from the bondage of comparing ourselves to anyone else. Jesus, you look at us and you see us. Abba Father, you look at us and you see children, children you love, children you care for, children you died for. God, remind us that we could have never measured up. But you went the greatest measure because you weren't concerned with measuring up you were concerned with coming down to meet us where we are and I praise you for that I can never do enough to thank you for that we can never do enough to thank you for that but we can meet with you we can commune with you and we can worship with you I pray we do that today in your name